My name is Reese. I'm one of the elders here at Grace Fellowship. It's a privilege to serve and give the message this morning. We're going to be in Acts chapter 20. If you want to open up your Bibles to that, it will also be up on the screen if you're here in person. Now, a couple of weeks ago, if you remember, we were outside and we've been going through our series in Acts and Peter was uh, giving the sermon on Acts 19. And if you remember, there was sort of a, a fun little thing that he did that caught our memory. And if you were there, you'd probably remember it when he was reenacting the chant from the riot. Artemis of Ephesus is great. You guys remember that? Kind of stuck with you if you were there. Now, imagine, you know, that was the whole city in an uproar. And the scripture says because of what Paul had done. And if you were a leader in the church at that time, you would know that chant also meant there's a lot of enemies to the gospel out there. And I have to lead this church, and I'm privileged to lead this church, but I'm very mindful of the circumstances and the surrounding um, people that are, that are there, both within the church and outside the church, and how are we going to lead in this environment? So Paul was there with them for years, discipling them, but now he's gone. And it's been about, I'm guessing about six months or so. It's definitely a few months from what we know from last week. But imagine that you're leading, you're an elder at this church, you're leading the church, and then all of a sudden, you get a message. Paul is nearby. He wants us to come, the elders to come see him. He's about 30 miles away. And we have to go right now. And so the elders pack up, drop whatever they're doing, and they go to Paul. And I imagine that on the way, they're wondering, what's he going to say? We haven't seen him for a while. Is he going to give us advice on how to lead the church? Is he going to come back with us to help us? We have a lot of adversaries in the city to the gospel And we could really use his help. So they're going to see Paul. And we're we're going to look at that this morning. What Paul's message was to these elders. So if you would, let's pray. And then we'll dive in. God, thank you for our time together this morning. Thank you for uh, these scriptures that we can learn more about you and who you are. And what you've done for us. And how that uh, should deeply impact our lives. Give us Uh, soft hearts as we read and learn from your word this morning. Amen. Again, setting the scene here, Paul is about 30 miles away from Ephesus. He sent just for the elders because he was in a hurry to get to Jerusalem by a certain time. So perhaps logistics or maybe there's other reasons involved, but he wanted those guys to come to him. And in verse 25 of the section we're going to read, Paul's going to say, this is the last time that I will ever see you guys. He's expecting to die before he would get another chance to see them. So it's a very uh, sobering uh, comment, but it's also meant to trigger, to, to help us to see that this is Paul's last parting message to these leaders of this church. So what is he going to say? If you look on your outline, you can see that there are three points that I want to cover that I believe are the three points that Paul is trying to communicate to these leaders. And he wants them to remember three things. The first thing is to remember that faith in Jesus is worth it. So let's read 
Acts 20, 17 through 24. I'm going to read in sections, and I'm going to read, and what's up on the screen is the New English Translation. From Miletus, he sent a message to Ephesus, telling the elders of the church to come to him. When they arrived, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I set foot in the province of Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears, and with the trials that happened to me because of the plots of the Jews. You know I didn't hold back from proclaiming to you anything that would be helpful, and from teaching you publicly and from house to house, testifying to both Jews and Greeks about repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus." And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem without knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit warns me in town after town that imprisonment and persecutions are waiting for me. But I do not consider my life worth anything to myself so that I may finish my task and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the good news of God's grace." Paul begins his message, final message to these Ephesian leaders by looking back on his relationship with them. And if you would look at verse 18, he says, from the first day I set foot in the province of Asia. Now Asia is not where, well I guess he's kind of from Asia, but I think part of what he's saying is he left his home to go to their country. And so from day one, he said he was going there and serving. He also points to the fact that they know his character and his message, that he suffered from the trials, from the plots of the Jews, and he says he served with tears. He says that you know, in verse 20, I didn't hold back from proclaiming the truth to you. Anything that would be helpful, I did it from house to house, I did it publicly, I did it to the Jews, I did it to the Greeks. I was preaching about Jesus to anyone and everywhere. His main message in verse 21, repentance towards God and faith in Jesus. And he wants these elders to know that it has been hard for him. It was a trial. It was, he said there's tears and there's trials. There were difficulties that he faced in bringing the gospel to them. And that's looking back. And he said, looking forward, it will also be hard. Verse 22 to to 24, he says, The Holy Spirit warns me that imprisonment and persecutions are waiting. So it has been hard. It will be hard. So we're left with the question, as Paul's telling these elders, like, why would you do that? Why would you do this with your life if it is so hard? And especially if you know that hard things are coming. Well, Paul, I believe, wants these elders to know, and he wants to be crystal clear with them, that Jesus is worth following even in the midst of hardship. You know, he is leaving, and these leaders will almost certainly face hardship if they haven't already. And they may even ask themselves this question. Is it worth it to persevere and keep following Jesus? Of course, I think Paul says the answer to that is yes. But I think the the main answer that underlies this whole section is God's grace. That is the motivating truth that keeps Paul going. 
Look at verse 24. He says, I don't consider my life worth anything to myself. Which means if, if he doesn't consider it worth to himself, his life is worth it to someone else. And what caused this transition of allegiance in Paul? Well, if you know the story, it was when he was knocked off his horse and he saw the truth and Jesus talked to him face to face and he realized that he was against God and God was against him. But Jesus showed him the grace uh, that he shows to all of us and Paul was able to repent of his sin, be forgiven, and he experienced God's grace. The uh, Fusion elders, I'm sure, would know his testimony. I'm sure that he told them. It's in the book of Acts three times, so I'm, I'm sure that he told it to them. And he, among all people, would know the value of God's grace. Just as an illustration, you know, if, if we sin against someone, say that you uh, spoke unkindly to someone, you have the opportunity to go up to them and ask them for forgiveness face to face. Will you please forgive me for saying those unkind words? You have that opportunity to, to have that transaction and bring resolution, and that's a right and good thing. Uh, it, it may be tempting, though, to forget that our main sin is against God himself, and so we have to, to remember that. But what if your sin was taking part in the killing of innocent people? Paul says this later in Acts 24, or 22, verse 4. He says, I persecuted Christians to their death. Imagine the possible guilt that Paul would suffer realizing what he had done, what his words, what his actions had done to innocent people. Here is someone who knows God's grace. This is the message that he preaches. This is the message that he lives by. And these Ephesian elders, guys, it is worth it to follow Jesus. His grace is worth holding on to. Even when a whole city is against you. Even when everybody's chanting things that are anti-Jesus. Even when you may not feel like you're worth it or measure up, God's grace is worth it. It is worth it to follow Jesus. This is the good news that he talks about, that he's testifying about at the end of verse 24. Elders, remember that it's worth it to follow Jesus. Now, what about the rest of us? Just like the Ephesian elders, they need to know this, and they need to treasure God's grace, and so do we as well. We need to know that it's worth following Jesus, despite whatever may come into our lives. It all begins with the understanding that we were enemies of God, separated from him because of our sin, and that Jesus died to take care of that penalty. If we begin to forget about that as the basis for why we're following Jesus, then we're setting ourselves up to be on a slippery slope. Something else will happen. Another thing will happen. We'll start to think, oh, is it really worth it to follow Jesus? And then eventually... Unless we treasure the gospel in our hearts, we'll find ourselves concluding it's not worth it to follow Jesus. And again, you must understand 
that you are separated from God because of your sin. You're against God. There's nothing you can do. You're stuck because of your sin. When I'm tempted to uh, look for hope in other things other than Jesus, because, right, there's all these things vying for our attention all the time, and especially when hard times come in, it's, it's more tempting to think, oh, well, let me do this other thing and not run to Jesus. Well, when I'm aware of it, I go to John six sixty eight. If you're familiar with that story, the, uh, some of Jesus gave a sermon and a lot of people left him. And then he turned to his main guys, his 12 disciples, and said, do you guys want to leave too? And Peter said, Lord, where else will we go? You have the words of eternal life. Where else will you go if you're going to give up on Jesus? And if you're considering giving up on Jesus, I want to, to put this for you, like in front of you. Um, what else are you going to put your hope and trust in? Because you better be sure that it's better than what Jesus offers. And don't just slip into to, to self-absorption and forgetting about Jesus. Be very clear what you're staking your life on. Peter says in Acts 4, we covered it a couple months ago, he says, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven, given to men by which we must be saved. So there are no other options that promise forgiveness of sin and a life with God apart from the gospel. And so you have to understand this. And as you understand this grace, this wonderful grace that's been given to you, then you begin to understand that it's worth following Jesus. Then you look at a guy like Paul and it starts to make sense why he would give his life for this. Why he would count his life worth worthy to someone else other than his own selfish desires. It helps you to understand why someone would, would go across the country or go across the world to tell people about Jesus. Why they would sacrifice their time, energy, and money for others. They would persevere through riots when the city hates you or even forgive enemies. It's because they know their sin and the weight of it and the freedom that comes from that forgiveness through Jesus. Experiencing his grace. Have you experienced his grace? Has that weight been lifted? Have you experienced it even this morning? Let's never let go of Jesus. Have you resolved in your heart that Jesus is worth it? Paul reminds them that he went through hardships. He will go through hardships. He will tell people about Jesus because he knows that it is worth it. Let's move on to the second point that he wants to remember. He wants them to remember is that attacks will come, so be ready. Verse 25. And now I know that none of you among whom I went around proclaiming the kingdom will see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am the innocent of the blood of all of you, for I did not hold back from announcing to you the whole purpose of God. Watch out for yourselves and for all the flock for which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God that he obtained with the blood of his own son. I know that after I'm gone, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. 
even from among your own group, men will arise, teaching perversions of the truth to draw disciples away after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that night and day for three years, I did not stop warning each of you, each one of you, with tears. Again, Paul believes this is the last time that he will ever see these guys in verse 25. They will be on their own without him to guide them. And in 26 and 27, he reminds them that I have preached the gospel to you, and now it's your turn to live it out. It is your responsibility from this point on. And then after he says that he's leaving here, uh, as I read the story, if I were just sort of fresh, I would think he'd be saying like, okay, guys, didn't we just have such a great time together with all the things that God had done and all the joy we had together and all those late night you know, chats and early morning cups of coffee we enjoyed together? That may have happened, but that's not what's recorded here. What's recorded here is a very somber warning. Verse 28, watch out for yourselves and for the flock because, he says in verse 29, I know that fierce wolves are coming in. He doesn't say they might come in or maybe if these three things come in order that that'll happen. He says, I know that this will happen. This is a very strong statement. Now, how are these elders to, to know to spot these people, these enemies of the gospel that are coming in to the church? He gives a couple clues in verse 30. He says, these folks are going to be teaching perversions of the truth. So presumably these guys are leaders, maybe even from among the elders, and they might be teaching things that are perversions of the truth. So there's slight differences to the truth. It's not like, oh, Jesus is an old hat and we came up with something new. It's not going to be that obvious. It's going to be something that's believable. So it's a perversion of the truth. So watch out for that. He also says that these men will draw disciples away after themselves. So they'll, they'll, they'll stop pointing people to Jesus. Okay, guys, we've got to go to Jesus. We've got to go to Jesus. There'll be that subtle shift to drawing people to themselves. So watch out for that. And Paul says, 31, he says, night and day for three years. He was with these guys three years, so night and day. I did not stop warning you. I didn't really consider that before, uh, really diving into this passage. One of the main uh, ministries, main, main aspects of his ministry was warning people against danger and to be on guard for attacks from the gospel. They know, he doesn't say anything about the threats necessarily about the outside to be on guard against, but to be on guard against the threats from the inside. He wants them to know that there are traitors to the gospel that are in the church and they're going to come. Now, how does he know this? How can he say it so confidently? I don't know. Maybe the Holy Spirit told him because he said the Holy Spirit warns him. Maybe he looked back on the history of Israel and saw many who claimed to be a true Israelite but really weren't or ended up turning away from following God. Or maybe he just looked at Jesus' own example and experience 
where even in his own 12 disciples, there was a traitor. And if Jesus had a traitor, we would be foolish to think that we're going to do better. Our churches will do better. And those traitors may already be in the church. So Paul tells them, watch themselves, because it could be them, and watch over the flock. That is what he wants them to do. Now, I don't believe people start out as traitors. You don't wake up one day and say, I'm just going to be against the gospel today. It starts out like the seed and the parables that Jesus taught. If you remember, they receive the gospel with joy and they start to sprout up. But at some point, other things come in there and that word gets choked out. And at, and at some point, the Jesus and the gospel are not the foundation of that person's life anymore. And especially for the leaders of the church, they need to watch their own life carefully so that they don't go down that slippery slope. I mean, I'm sure this was a shock to these, uh, these guys, these elders, but it is the truth that they needed to hear. Because Paul does not want them to be fools and miss this warning. Because they could say, hey, we were discipled by Paul. I love Jesus. I love our church. This could never happen to me. This could never happen to our church. We would never have someone from our church or myself turn away from Jesus and lead people astray. Paul says, I know that this can happen. So do not forget about this warning. Now, is Paul, when he's saying this, is he encouraging the elders to be suspicious of one another? Like, you know, they have binoculars, they're looking out for sin, and, and they're, you know, they're pointing out every little thing and, and causing a distrust among the elders? I don't think so. I think it's the answer, again, is God's grace, because the thing that brings unity in the first place is the same truth that continues that unity which is the gospel of Jesus. And so we need to focus on, the elders need to focus on the gospel of Jesus in everything that they do. That is the foundation, and they will be going in the right direction. But when people or programs or other things start to take away the attention from the gospel, that's when the red lights should be going off and the sirens are blasting. It should get our attention. So the church, the leadership, Its unity and its preservation are because of the gospel. So be on guard against those who say and do otherwise. How does this apply to us? So even though this this message and these applications are for the Ephesian elders, um, it's good for us to remember that if it can happen to people discipled by Paul, well, then it can happen to us. It can happen to any one of our elders It can happen to any one of you. Do not be fooled. Watch out for yourself. Look at your own heart. One of the uh, helpful self-diagnostics that you can do, and maybe you can do it when when we're having communion here in a little bit, is to ask yourself, how much do I treasure Jesus? Is the gospel... The same, do I have the same joy I had at the beginning when I realized how much I had been forgiven? Maybe you've forgotten how much of a chasm there was 
because of your sin. That God was your enemy. You don't deserve a a slap on the wrist. You deserve eternal punishment. And you've been rescued and freed from that fate. Remember John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So that whoever believes in him shall have eternal life. That's what's available to you. And whatever it takes, go back to that truth. Hold on to Jesus. And I know that this process can sometimes more look like a wrestling match than it does a concert ensemble. You know, just nice and beautiful music and all this isn't so wonderful. But it's really hard at times to wrestle and hold on to Jesus. Again, many times I am tempted. And in this struggle, I feel like the guy from Mark 9 when Jesus was going to heal his son. He said, anything is possible for those who believe. You remember what the guy said? He said, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. doesn't make any sense, but I think you know what he means, that struggle. I believe. Help me in my unbelief. Do not give up struggling. Keep holding on to Jesus. Paul warned these leaders night and day for three years. So how much more do we need to encourage and be focused, encourage ourselves and our hearts in the gospel and encourage and help our fellow believers? Consider, when was the last time that you asked another church member here, how are you growing in your walk with God? Or encouraging them with what Jesus has done for them. Or encouraging the elders and other leaders with how you have seen God at work in them and pray for them. And if you see any of them going off and leaving the foundation of the gospel, you had better speak up. That is your responsibility as much as it is the elders' responsibility to shepherd the flock. Tell us when you see that happening. And then elders, this is a, it's an application for our own elders, of which I am one. We need to watch out for each other. And in addition to watching out for the church, we may, must not compromise on preaching the gospel and helping people, even when it's awkward, even when it's uncomfortable, and even when the preaching and teaching results in people getting mad and leaving. Now, we don't want them to get mad and leave for the wrong reasons. But we must always teach about God's grace. So Paul wants these guys to know and not be innocent to the threat that may come to their church. Well, he says it will come, but they are to be on guard and protect it from happening. And then thirdly, the final reminder that Paul has for these guys is to remember that God's grace is is a gift to give. Verse 32 to 38. Let's read that. And now I entrust you to God and to the message of his grace. This message is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have desired no one's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine provided for my needs and the needs of those who were with me. By all these things... I have shown you that by working in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When he had said these things, he knelt down with them and prayed. They all began to weep loudly 
and hugged Paul and kissed him, especially saddened by what he had said, that they were not going to see him again. And they accompanied him to the ship. So after this solemn warning that he gives in the previous section, Paul is now encouraging them to remember one last thing, and that is that God's grace is a gift to give. Verse 32, he says that he's entrusting them to the message of this grace, and this message is to build them up and also to remind them that they have this inheritance only God can give them. And these, these, this gift of God's grace propels them outward towards others. And he uses himself as an example. He says in verse 34, that my, you know that my own hands provided for my needs and, and for the needs of the guys that were with me. And if you're familiar, we, we know from Acts uh, 18, I believe it is, that he was a tent maker. So not only was he a missionary, he was a businessman. And he was earning enough money to pay for himself and for others when he could have asked the church for financial help. He doesn't do that, and then for his various reasons that he doesn't go into, but he says it was to serve you guys. And he says, verse 35, that what we need to do is we need to help the weak, because remember even Jesus' own words, which are not found in the gospel, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So the gospel gives you all that you need, and it's an unlimited supply, so you can be giving it out to others and not worry about it. Paul received this gift again when he was in Damascus and he becomes a missionary to these people in Ephesus. And then these guys hear it and they get that gift. Now they can give it out. As an aside, if you see the end of the chapter here, you you get a sense for how close these guys were with Paul and what kind of impact he had on them. They're weeping loudly and hugging and praying and kissing. They don't want to see him go. I'm sure it was very hard for Paul to leave, but I'm also pretty sure that he looks at this scene and he's reminded that it is more blessed to give than to receive. You know, imagine he's walking out of his home towards Asia, not knowing what's going to happen, not knowing the hardships, not knowing will anybody respond? Will there be any fruit to this effort? And here he looks back and thinks, man, that was worth it. These guys, investing in them, praise God, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Understanding this principle that it's more blessed to, be, to, get, to give than to receive starts with verse 32. Again, that you guys here, you have an inheritance. And anyone that believes in Jesus has this inheritance that God can give. It's something that you didn't earn or could ever earn. Right? To illustrate this. So uh, before I was born, and I was looking at, uh, at the earth, and I saw Bill and Melinda Gates. So I don't know what her maiden name was. But they were coming down the aisle to get married. And I thought, man, some slots are going to be opening up real soon to get in there to be one of their kids. And boy, is that inheritance going to be good doesn't work that way, does it? The inheritance doesn't depend on you. You don't earn it. It's a gift. 
And the size of the gift depends on the resources of the giver. So Bill and Melinda Gates can give billions to their kids, but God can give infinitely more to his family. Jesus, in, uh, as we were, we were, we're taught in Hebrews 12 too, that as Jesus faced the cross, it says he saw joy. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He knows that it's more blessed to give than to receive. He lived this out. And again, this inheritance is available to all who turn of their sin, turn away from their sin, and put their faith and hope in Jesus. Paul was set free. The elders here are set free. And they all, and if you are set free, we all can give this gift freely to others. Paul says that uh, we must help the weak. He doesn't qualify who the weak are. He doesn't qualify exactly how to help them in verse 35. But he wants them to focus on this principle. It's the same, that as you have experienced God's grace, it's a gift that changes your life so you can give it to others. It's an unlimited supply running through you that you can pass on to others. It might mean that you uh, start a business like Paul does to help raise money or earn money that you could give away or help other people. It might mean that you become a missionary and you go far away to tell people about Jesus, giving up other comforts and making other sacrifices. It might mean that you um, seek to invest in someone else. And not only that, you seek to invest in someone that, that you might not have otherwise because for some reason, I know it's a temptation in me, that I only want to invest in people that I know are actually going to make a big return. It might mean that you actively give up your rights, things that you could demand, but you give them up for the sake of the gospel or to be a better witness for Christ. Or it might mean that you press in to a potentially awkward or difficult conversation with a friend, a family member, or a neighbor so that they know why you believe in Jesus and you share the gospel with them. If it is true that it is more blessed to give than receive, then you have to understand that this joy of giving rather than receiving comes all the way back to what I read from Hebrews 12. It comes from Jesus looking at the cross and seeing that this is a joyful thing to give his life for you and I. And again, in each one of these sections, it is the grace of God, the good news that shines forth. It is the foundation for all of these remembrances. And holding on to Jesus, especially when life is full of disappointments and relationships that leave and cities that hate you, you have to hold on to Jesus. Do not let go, no matter how strong the storm is. I don't know if you noticed, but in each one of these sections, there were tears. There were tears in the first section, tears in the second section, and there's weeping loudly in this third section. Jesus is worth it. Hold on to him. These men, as they send Paul off, are praying, hugging, weeping, and saying their goodbyes. Paul entrusts them to the message of the gospel. And though it doesn't say it, I'm sure that the elders are thinking the same thing. We're entrusting you, Paul, to the message of the gospel.
So in his final message here, Paul reiterates what he's been teaching them for years, that Jesus is worth it, that attacks on the gospel will come, and they'll come from the inside where you least expect it. Be on guard, be ready, make sure it's not you, and help others that are going astray. And then finally to remember that God's grace that was shown to you is a gift that you can give to others. And then Paul leaves. Let's pray. God, thank you for this message this morning that we can be reminded of what is most important. Help us never to let go of Jesus. I pray for those who don't know you that they would see that you are worth everything. I pray for those who are struggling with this question, is Jesus worth it? That you would encourage them not to give up, to persevere, to see that there is, there's nowhere else that life can be found apart from you. I pray that you would help our elders to lead Grace Fellowship well, that you would guard our own hearts from going astray. And I pray for our whole church body that we would uh, encourage and help one another. I pray that the world would see the love that we have for one another in Christ and that that would be a tremendous witness to this world, as you said in John 13. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.